Hello again and welcome back. I was going to say welcome again to College Football Down Under, but that's not the case. It's This is our first recording in a long, long, long time. For those people that are new to the show, welcome. If you think this is going to be a sharp production that's going to be crisp, full of detailed analysis, you're sorely mistaken. And for those people that are welcome back, welcome back to the shit show. My name's Aaron Kemp. I'm joined by Will Murden. How are you going tonight, mate, as I... I tip down my very last Burnley Brewing for oh. season 2021 because we're now into season 2022. Look at you holding over there and, and bringing one in to crack in the new season. Good on you. I think I was through mine in the first week. Uh, and yes, there were a number of heavy stouts in there, but I was just keen to try them all. I'm good, my friend. It is good to be back. It's good to see you Life's getting harder for us. Uh, we're we're oh. both kind of in, in pretty sad <laughs> states right now. Like not, not sad states, but if you could see through the video that we can see of each other of where we've had to hide ourselves within our respective homes. Like previously, I felt like we had a pretty slick studio sort of setup going on. And, yeah, yeah. and we were really at the top of our game. Where now, oh, yuck, mate. You are in some sort of box. I don't know how uh, you yuck. explain this. <laughs> I am. I'm trying to soundproof myself. Uh, the infant... I don't know when they transition from infant to like baby. I feel like he's baby now, but it is a tedious exercise. I know that we were in conversation before coming on air and we're like, hey, like let's let's get ready to go for tonight. And we were, and we're, we were aiming, for, I don't know what we were shooting for, maybe 7, 7.30, so, something that been like good. that. That would have been good. <laughs> that would have been good. We're now 10 past 9, uh, Central Australian time, uh, kicking off here tonight. So... It has been a long process of getting children into a state that we feel that we can record and we must do so at a lower volume now because any single slight change in air pressure, temperature, volume, general existence, humidity and these kids, they fucking wake up and then they start screaming for hours on end. Yeah, it's going to be a real issue because I can't see that happening for the two of us. We get into it. We're emotional guys. Uh, we we exactly. get passionate about some of this stuff. So, look, we're, we're just going to have to take those lumps and, and go with it. But it is fantastic to be back on air. Really excited to be back again with the Vault Studio boys uh, through that production there. So... Uh, we will be looking at how we're going to release this year. Maybe a slightly different cadence for us rather than the recap and preview shows. We might just trim that down and have one awesome episode a week. Which uh, Yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't know we were going to go straight off the top like this. Um, but hey, let's get... Yeah, let, let's be candid with the, with the listeners and the support. I mean, having children has really put a, a spanner in the works in terms of time and you know we've got other demands so unless we can afford to do this as a full-time existence which we would love to do uh, but until we can do that or get into a position to do that which is at this stage we've made uh, zero dollars off of podcasting so doesn't seem like it's something quite on the horizon just yet but in order to do this as a more committed full-time professional outfit yeah it, we would need uh, a little bit more financial support coming yeah. in i guess uh, uh, but i think this has always been a bit of a passion project for the two of us so we're really grateful for anyone oh, yeah. who listens to the show uh we love engaging with the fans uh for any mm -hmm. fan of college football like you and i are 
first and foremost college football fans. We love to watch it. We, we get excited for the season to roll around. So if there's more people that we can engage with uh, along that journey, mm-hmm. we're, we're keen on that. So that's kind of what drives us in doing it. For you and me, it's an opportunity to catch up every week and, and talk about shit that we'd probably talk mm-hmm. about anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just been neat that we've been able to do that here. So I think it's fantastic if we've got any new listeners joining along please do hit us up on on all of our social media accounts if you search college football down under you'll find us on twitter instagram or whatever it is uh and we 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 want to hear from you we're really keen we want to grow the market in australia um we we want to get engaged with the guys who are playing over there we think it's fantastic we know that there's a massive pipeline that's being built there and it's a real genuine opportunity for a lot of australians who are into the sport and and want to get a a, quite the life experience right the free ride on a scholarship to go over there and and like you get a pretty nice degree at the end of it, but that is just a byproduct of what's going to be the best time of your life. So all of that stuff is, is really, really cool. And we are, um, we're, su- we're super passionate about the game and, and we'll be dialed in from 2 a.m. through to 2 p.m. most Saturday night, Sunday mornings, um, just mm-hmm. beca- because we're about it. Yeah, and that is only a, a month away at this point. We've, we've kicked off later than we normally would. And I think selfishly also this podcast has allowed us to explore our uh, understanding and, and experience within the game because it is different for the both of us. Me personally, I love the anal- analytical side of the game and, and learning about offense and defense. And Will, on the other hand, likes to lose money. And, and that is a big part of his um, experience and viewership of college football. So I'm sure that will continue again this year, Will. Almost certainly. I've been back to the, the books. Uh, both. <laughs> this will be good. <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm just crunching numbers. I'm a number crunching guy now. In, in my professional life, I have been lucky enough to start playing around with some like machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence type stuff. And all I can think about from a work sense is how can I apply this to college football to make me money? Uh, so I've got a few little tricks up my sleeve now. I can, I can rely on the robots to do some of the number crunching for me and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, they've got their robots as well. Anyway, this is going to be the super big ginormous welcome back podcast episode. So we're going to get into it. We'll try not to talk too much crap along the way, although it has been a long time for both me and Will just shooting shit. So they're, you know, be prepared that that could come along the way. Uh, and I suppose the, the structure of this podcast, normally we've got our news and our 360 and all that kind of to get to. This is going to be more like a chronological flow through of the season. And, and oh, well, certainly not the season, but certainly since Georgia won the national championship through into the draft and then the off season and, and, and then shaping up into what should be a, a really interesting 2022 and, and, and how those changes around a whole bunch of the structures of college football are impacting the game one or two or three years in Um, and then also there's some other more recent things that we do need to get to in terms of of teams and colleges moving and shifting and changing as opposed to uh, staying the same which is never the case with college football actually if we if we stay in this thing long enough we realize that the more we do it the more things never seem to stay the same uh, so that will include conference realignment. We'll get to NIL. We'll get to the portal. We'll get to the NFL draft. We will get to 
Uh, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher going back a little bit, kicking off against each other. Um, bit of current state of affairs. We've got some preseason award list people to get to as well. And then some big picture thoughts on the season because we will be going into uh, conference previews and all the, the usual stuff as we do heading into the start of a particular season. We're away. Yeah, this is exciting. I'm, I'm hoping that for everyone who has switched off since that national championship game, we can take this opportunity to get you back up to speed, get the finger on the pulse and start to get excited because yeah. it, it's I not mean, far. It is not. Before we do that, though, I did just want to talk about life with a child just, just for a quick second. Something I've noticed, I don't think I've spoken to you about this before, but I may have, is that as a, as a, as a male walking down the street, without a child the experience is very different to when you you do you are carrying the baby along with you so without it any female between the ages of say 18 and 30 keeps their eyes down like you're about to rape them as I soon mean, as you carry a this ch- this experience may not be for everyone this may just be a new <laughs> thing but can keep yeah, going you go, possibly <laughs> um having said that with when you're carrying a child apparently all of a sudden you are someone who is less aggressive and less like uh someone who is to be intimidate like that's intimidating you and and all of a sudden they feel less vulnerable and all of a sudden they like they look up and they smile and i'm like i'm the same guy i just have a child strapped to my chest at this point or you seem i I just found like an interesting you seem a a lot less rapey in this scenario so i can i can see why the girls are yeah but i just it's in their best interest i've been the same amount of uh aggressive male the entire time i feel okay okay well i mean i'll throw in one thing onto that as well with the whole children thing, like the apple of your eye and, and you walk around, you know, you think this child is fantastic. No one else really gives a fuck. Uh, they, they obviously think you're, a, you know, a nicer, softer guy for having it, but they don't care. What they will do, though, I've noticed is if you have a dog and a child, they'll still really appreciate your dog. So like I'll have newborn child and dog and people come up and be like, oh, how old's your dog? And I'm like, I have literally like a new human here that you do not give any fucks about. <laughs> But this old mangy rescue mutt that I've got is really doing it for you. That that intrigues me. Yeah. Uh, the last thing before we move on is my shit is always dirty. Like clothing now has just got grubby little mitts on it at all times. I just can't stay clean. I know that's a constant bane of parent lifestyle, so I'm not going to linger on that point for any considerable amount of time. But... It is something that I have certainly if, if, noticed. If I could send the camera around the room that I'm in at the moment, mate, it is just <laughs> an absolute sty, uh, and it's permanent. And I feel you too. Like I've got the uh, the suit for work, and, and the little man will come up every morning, and it's just either this shoulder or this chest. Yeah. I'm like, thanks, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with it. it yeah, it just changes how you view the world, these, <laughs> these little gremlins. All right, let's get into some college football because we've been... Yeah, we've been stalling here. So let's get into it. Uh, probably worth, you know, Georgia won the national championship. Yes, cool, move on. They had a whole bunch of guys drafted uh, early because of their amazing defensive performance throughout that season. Um, you love the draft, Will. I am. I, I like it, but I, I'm certainly not as passionate about it as what you are. Where do you see, where did this come down? What, what impact did this have on college football? What, what was your experience with the NFL draft this year? 
Yeah, look, I do absolutely love it. I'm the guy that takes a day off for the NFL draft, but doesn't for the Super Bowl. Like, I'd, I'd much rather watch this and get more excited for this. And like, when you think about it, that's fucking weird behaviour. But it's I'm not just... really because you're a Chicago Bears fan, and they, <laughs> yeah. you know, we trade away yeah. our, our draft. I don't even <laughs> well, don't have anything and there you're to not celebrate. Competitive during the season either, so yeah. it's really a strange situation for you. Win, win, win. Uh, so yeah, look, tough going, but this this was a fantastic draft. It was one of the most action packed from memory and I don't want to go into any depth or detail breaking it down because most people who care about it would have seen it but uh, as you mentioned the Georgia defense really dominated a lot that we saw there we had a lot of high profile wide receivers go quite high uh, so our boy Drake London, uh, anyone who was a listener of the show knows the two of us were really a big fan there and, and were quite devastated when he went down with that leg injury. But he was drafted in the top 10 out to Atlanta, which I think is a fantastic landing spot for him there. And, and he's going to have a, a brilliant career off of the back of that. But then there was a real run after that. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams. Uh, we saw Jahan Dotson, Traylon Burks, all within the top 20 picks of this draft, all before a quarterback was taken, um, which was massive. I think another big thing that came out of this draft was the lack of quarterback talent. Both you and I had said it going in, that there's no one that you would want to put your the faith of your job into. Uh, and, and that's how it played out. It was Kenny Pickett was the only one who was drafted in the first round, and, and that was by a very needy Pittsburgh team. Feels like a risky pick. They have the ultimate like outside-the-pants hand job uh, quarterback room with the guys that they've got in there. Like, you, you kind of like. Duck Hodges still there? Is oh, no, not even. They've got Mason Rudolph, Mitch Trubisky. Head caved in by Miles Garrett. Yeah, uh, Mitch Trubisky and uh, Kenny Pickett. Like, those three guys there. You, you'll take it, but you're not thrilled about it and you wish you were having something better. Feels like Pittsburgh are drafting a quarterback again within three years. Yeah. yeah like, yeah, the, the, there is always that risk. I mean, their defense is quite good, so yeah. the, I, I see where they're coming from, and it's a move that they need to make. But both you and I didn't really like any of the prospects coming in here, and, and that eventually was how it uh, turned out there. Yeah, um, I think the the other thing, just touching on the wide receiver stuff, is wide receivers don't miss. Uh, that's what we're seeing a lot in the NFL now, is and, and that and that's translating as well into the college and the way that and uh, wide receivers are being recruited is that if, if you can grab one of those high-impact wide receivers, that, and a lot of them have been through Alabama recently, but certainly Ohio State as well, and they've got another one this year in, in bringing back to the college game, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, you know, Jordan Addison, who's made the move from Pitt across to USC as potentially the number one wide receiver in, in the country. And you just see those guys hit so much more often than other positions, and... And, you know, if you've got one of those really, really good wide receivers, if you're an LSU fan and you've got Keishon Boutte, then you're feeling really, really good about that. Those guys are going to go on and have quality NFL careers. Yeah, agreed. So th- those were the main takeaways from me, mate. Is there anything else that jumped out at from you? Yeah, yeah. the big one for me, because I think this could have an impact on college football, is the Derek Stingley one. So he got injured early in season 2021. Uh, sat the rest of the season, probably could have, or in the past, probably could have worked to come back from that in- injury, but just put it on ice at that point, sat the rest of the season out, and was like, nah, I'm, I'm not interested in coming back. I'm getting myself ready for the draft. And he went number three overall. Is that right? Is yes, that where correct. To the Texans, yep. So this idea that you need to play 
your junior or senior year, your last year of college football at, to get recognized by scouts is something that is becoming less and less important. We've seen high school kids sit out their senior years before going to college now. I don't know how long it's going to be until you get a freak. Now, it's going to take a freak probably, and it's going to have to be a non-quarterback, I would suggest. But you're going to get someone and probably... I, I can't think of, of someone off the top of my head who would have been in this mold. Um, probably, oh, now you, this is so average. Who's the pass rusher from South Carolina? Shadavion Clowney. Jadavian Clowney, the guy who can't get a sack in the NFL. Um, mm, he's he, made like he been, $500 he, million dollars or something. <laughs> yeah, but he just can't get more than 10 sacks in a season. So he would have been a bit of a flop. But he would have been someone who was so outstanding. And I can't, like if you can think of somebody else, maybe like a Reggie Bush back in the day, but someone who could potentially sit out a, a final year after putting two years of really good tape together... That is something that I don't, like, uh, that wouldn't surprise me in the future. We saw Bosa do it a few years ago. Again, it was on the back of an injury. It, it's probably a little bit away before they are fully healthy and sit out because these dudes want to play as well. That's what, you know, it's what they're interested in doing. But I think that is an interesting precedent that people thought Stingley was perhaps going to drop or, you know, when he got picked third, people were a little bit surprised by that. But after you know after the analysis they were like well it's not a shock he was fantastic and he was so uh, yeah that that's my big takeaway is that i just think if you get someone who's an athletic freak they're really really good as a, a freshman and then have a really good uh, sophomore year and then as a junior either get injured or could sit that season out and get ready for the draft yeah my my only counter to that will be i think the nil and the money that these guys can now make for the top-level guys, because it's only going to be a handful of top-level guys that can do this. There, there is now yeah, some incentive for them many. to do it that wasn't there. Uh, and, and, and that is the other point that I want to make. It is only going to ever be less than a handful of people who are in a position to be able to do this. So it's not an epidemic Correct. where we're losing the top talent every year because they're all going to the draft. There's not enough do guys who can do that. So I'm not so no, concerned, but it is an interesting thing to watch for. I, I'm not concerned either, but for LSU fans, all of a sudden you lose like a, a guy that shut down a half of the field. Like So in terms of your team structure... Is Derek Stingley the difference between winning and losing a game? Maybe, maybe not. But that maybe, maybe not is the difference between making the playoff and not as well. So, it, yes, I agree with you that it's going to be very few dudes. And if you're recruiting at that kind of level and getting those dudes, then you know, you're know you not going to probably have too many issues. But it could upset the apple cart enough that could that cost you a game? Maybe maybe i don't know yeah. and i think it's, 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 it's not something you want to see either like we want to see these dudes play at the yeah, absolutely absolutely but more often than not they're going to sit because their team has lost and they're out of the national championship or because they got nicked well, up and, and and they're out of that conversation and, and that's the next one is like if if uh, i can't th like let's say lsu with Keishon Boutte. Uh, a bit like last year, like he he put it on ice pretty early last year, and he got nicked up, but he probably could have come back and all that kind of stuff. If they go zero and three, he's pulling the pin, and and that's where I think you're probably going to see more of it is is that kind of existence. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, 
let's not linger on this point because the draft has been and gone and I hope everyone enjoyed it. Um, but let's get to some more news that has permeated throughout the offseason and it probably kick-started with uh, a couple of teams on the West Coast making a move to the Big Ten, which has really sent shockwaves through college football because one, the Big Ten being a conference that is highly academic, for one, not that, that not that's a hugely important point here, but secondly, a very traditional parochial um, conference has gone and accepted a couple of schools that certainly geographically don't fit the mold, um, but has been a move towards buffering themselves for the onslaught that is coming from a conference realignment perspective. Now, we saw conference realignment years ago. It has not gone to bed. It continues to come up, but this time it feels very different. I've touched on a few different points here. So let's start with the schools on the West Coast. Let's start with the Big Ten, and then let's get into the differences between conference realignment back in the early 2000s and then conference realignment now. Okay, so you want to start with the USC and UCLA move over to the Big Ten, which really did send shockwaves. Like th- this was quite shocking news in the same vein that Texas and Oklahoma was at the same time the year previous, where they bolted the Big 12 for the greener pastures of the SEC. Now, USC first had the big coup hire of Lincoln Riley. Uh, And then on the back of that, they've got generated a whole heap of interest. They've had a lot of incoming transfers coming there. And then they've also pivoted that to say, well, actually, we're the flagship program of the Pac-12, which has been disappointing for a long time now. Five years they've struggled. They haven't been at the same level as as the rest. They've been somewhat mediocre. A little bit is because they get buried late on the East Coast market there, so they kind of get forgotten about. But the results haven't stacked up. They just haven't performed all that well. So USC, one of the teams that hasn't performed all that well, has said, we are pulling our lion's share. We want to make a change. We can see the shifts of change are happening amongst the college football landscape. So we're going to get on the front foot and we're going to get out to the Big Ten and we're going to take UCLA with us to really maximize our return on revenue. So most of these conference realignment moves are all about money. It's about how you can get the most money for your program to then further progress the athletic program of not just your football team, but all of the programs that you have there, but it's mainly your football program, uh, and, and, and how that can then turn things around and how you can use that money to generate success or at least that's the thinking behind it so in the Pac-12 they're at a situation where they're currently renegotiating their media rights and because they've been down over the last five years there haven't been as many eyes watching the the teams that are played there they're not in a strong position to really offer out lucrative contracts that then get shared amongst the entire conference. So, so how do these how do these media deals work? Is this like a situation where, you know, if they sign a three hundred million dollar ten year deal, that all that money gets divided up evenly amongst every single team in the conference, or do the bigger teams take more revenue, or how are these kind of things it, negotiated? It, 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 and yeah. why are they so why are they so significant? It is a little more nuanced than a clean uh, split for for different areas. So I'm not overly acutely aware of how the Pac-12 structure was. But I know in the Big 12 that it was a little bit different with the Longhorn Network and and what they had going on there. Which has been a flop, by the way. 
the bigger schools were were taking home more revenue than smaller ones, but it is distributed somewhat evenly across the group. I think what USC felt was that they were providing more than what they were getting back from the group. And not only that, there's a much bigger pie available in the Big Ten. So they've seen that opportunity. UCLA, uh, another school that is local to them have, have, have jumped on the opportunity as well and now both of them make that move now geographically as you mentioned that makes absolutely no fucking sense and from a football standpoint we're in a world these days where you can deal with that you've got six road games so six flights across the country to, to play your football games not such a problem but this conference realignment stuff or, or moving across is not just for football. It is for all of your athletic sports. So think of the UCLA volleyball team that's now traveling. Very good. They're a very good volleyball school. Exactly right. But all, they're not generating oh, money. That's you Correct. Know. Correct. So, so that on the one side, they say that's fine. We've got more than enough money in the windfall that we make from the, the new deal that's going to be in our favor to cover all those transport costs. But it is, these are student athletes. It is an impost on them to be spending a lot more time in, on flights, a lot more time traveling around the country. Yes, you can study on your plane, don't get me wrong, maybe they'll get heaps of it done and it'll actually work out well for them. But, it, but it, it just goes away from that regional thing. So that doesn't make sense to me from, from one point. I also, you lose your rivalries with this conference realignment stuff as well. And, and we've seen that as an Oklahoma State fan myself, having Oklahoma leave and go to the SECs, disappointing. Uh, like, as much as I hate getting beaten by them every year, except last year, uh, it, it, it's, it's something to look forward to every year on your calendar. It's the game that you've got circled. And then that goes away because they've jumped out. And, and that'll be the same for both of these California schools now, where, what, I'm expected to, for them to get excited for a USC-Rutgers matchup? No. But, like, when they, when they come up against Cal, who are equally as, you know, disappointing, there's a bit more bitterness to it. These kids grew up playing high school against each other. There's a bit more to it. So that, to me, is, is one of the downsides of all of this stuff here. Yeah, I think yes and no. But, I mean, we've seen... A lot of these California kids, particularly the quarterbacks, head anywhere but these two schools recently. So from a recruiting standpoint, it's not like the California kids and the, and the West Coast kids are staying local. I hear what you're saying, and, and, and I do. Yeah, I think I'm I, talking about the well. bottom two-thirds, right? Like Because yeah. the, the, they are made up of in-state in yeah, yeah. students more well, often certainly than not. But why... So the next question, I think I've got an answer to this, but why did USC take ucla and not someone like oregon who have had a better run they've got more financial backing locally um, with the nike deals that they will have until time in immemorial <laughs> why take the bruins who have been really disappointing since they reached number two in the country or whatever they did back in the kind of mid 90s why take them no i'd be open to your thoughts on this because like yeah, it, I mean, it is it is a really good question, right? They're in LA market. That would that would that is it. And and this you, you've mentioned it, but it all comes down to money and Oregon are self sufficient. They but however, how much how much financial uh investment and, and money do they actually bring in? Uh yes, outside the Nike stuff, I don't know, not that much. Whereas USC of course 
um, are a well-known brand. UCLA are also in Los Angeles, and that leans into this NIL market. This leans into the ability, and, and I'll, I'll touch on this later, but I think schools in major cities, I think there's going to be a shift, and schools in major cities are more optimally situated than schools in college towns. Um, and I think NIL has a lot to do with that. Yeah, I think you could be right. And that's really disappointing from from my standpoint yeah. because what, one of the best things about college football is that most of these colleges are, or the, the big programs are situated in small American towns. They, they are college towns. The, everything revolves around the college in these towns and, and there's a lot of charm to that. Yeah, for sure. Where does this leave... Uh, last point here probably where does this leave so back, big 10 feel really solid you know you've got you've got a high for, for the new people new to us that are learning college alignment and college conferences you've got a high state you've got michigan you've got penn state you've got these really old traditional schools they're not going anywhere you then add usc yeah smaller market private school but certainly have got brand name um kind of reputation there and then you bring UCLA so Big Ten seem really solid SEC have been the power in college football since probably the turn of the millennium you then add Texas Oklahoma to that who are two of the bigger programs in the south they seem really solid from an SEC so SEC Big Ten not going anywhere the SEC have come out and said they're not going to expand any further where does this leave the Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big 12? I know the Big 12 have already fired a bit of a shot in terms of bringing schools across, but have they um, climaxed a little too early? Because it feels like uh, some of these, maybe all of these conferences are going to be on the outside looking in. Yeah, it, 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 feels like, it feels like, sorry to, to interrupt your answer already here, but it feels like the SEC and the Big Ten are trying to create their own playoff for the playoff almost like you know get it's, into it's, our playoff and you know the, the era of the super conference and and i think you've hit yeah. the nail on the head there where the, those two have become the power two conferences and now we have three conferences that that really struggle to match up with the top tier talent and the depth that's going to be available across the two that's in there so i don't think this is done we haven't seen the end of it i think there's going to be more shifting on the back of this yes at this stage the sec said it this is their intention and this is uh, what they want to move ahead with but there are conversations happening every day behind oh. closed doors to yeah. maximize US, dollars US it, it, it's, USC, it's all about these dollars. Lincoln Riley did not move to USC without the knowledge that they were moving. I yes. do not believe... like He, he had to have known that. He yes. had to have known that was in the works and something that he was interested in supporting. So, so this becomes very interesting then when, where to from here because the ACC is locked into a long-term deal uh, and, and they're a proud conference in their own right, good basketball conference that they have there. But if you look at it... Not only that, you've got big schools there. You've got Clemson, you've got Florida State, you've got exactly Miami, right. that, That's what like I'm going to say. Virginia you, you, Tech, you've got some schools that hold some a little bit of clout at least. Maybe not definitely. recently, but certainly. But, but, but I think those three that you mentioned off the top there in Clemson, Florida State and Miami are attractive schools that if I'm an SEC or a Big Ten who is looking to poach and expand their prime targets for it, right? They, they are the ones that you want to get you bring into the fold uh, from 
from outside. Outside of that, if you look in the Big 12, it's not as clear-cut. So you don't have a program like Clemson that's winning the national championships. You don't have one with the history of Florida State or, or Miami. You've got programs like Oklahoma State, Baylor and, and TCU who've had success or, or have a big market in the DFW area there that potentially are attractive from that. Outside of that, it, it becomes a lot tougher. And then in, in the Pac-12, what's left there? I don't know. As you Oregon. mentioned, there's Oregon. There's Oregon that's left. Washington, Washington, I believe, are one of the most overrated programs in terms of where they're talked at in the landscape of yeah. things. Uh, Utah, the, other, the other ones, the, the Arizona schools, though, like there's a huge market there. Correct, like, correct. Well, the, theoretical there market, is. but clearly it's not having an impact um, yeah. financially. A, a lot of people in that Phoenix uh, a- area there. So you're spot on with that. Even like a Stanford, right? Like no one goes to their games, but they've got a name brand and mm. they, they're they a big time program. So, it, so it's fascinating <laughs> to see how this all plays out, right? So uh, as recently as like earlier this week, the Pac-12 and Big 12 have been in merger discussions. It was only midweek this week that they have officially come out and said, no, we will not be proceeding with these discussions. We are not going to be merging as a conference between the two of them, which I don't think makes sense. What does that become like a 24-team, very average, like sub-tier yeah. conference? It doesn't make sense for them to join there. But but where are the next steps? Because there's I don't see a scenario where these remaining conferences to, can get on level footing with these two. So do the top programs that I mentioned there try and clamour their way into either the SEC or the Big Ten? I, I feel like that's inevitable and that we do end up with the two and it almost becomes like a pro model where you've got two big conferences and you work through that. Uh, but th- there's a lot still to be played out here. Yeah. Uh, we won't labour on this point anymore because we could debate this and for for the next three hours and, and we don't want to do that but um yeah certainly there is a lot of uh movement on in the future uh, but we just don't know how this is going to look look uh on any level really and i think fundamentally if there's something you take away as an australian college football fan or, or any college football fan really but um is that money dr- is driving this at the moment it all comes down to is amazon going to get involved is cbs is it espn who's it going to be that drives the price up to the point where these schools can make money the only school we haven't spoken about is notre dame and are they looking to hitch themselves to a conference and the answer to that is no they are looking at making about 10 million dollars per game next year um, if you were to look at them joining the ACC, which has been a pretty popular um, conversation because of their alignment in every other sport but football, uh, they would be making about $3.7 million a year. So uh, for them, it doesn't make any sense. A game. Per game, sorry, per game. So it doesn't make any sense for them to jump in with uh, the ACC at this point. And I feel, yeah, I, I feel like uh, being a Miami fan, I feel like... Uh, we're in okay shape. Um, there's some other schools that I'd be very nervous about. I mean, <laughs> Cincinnati and, and US, uh, UCF, who have finally made the leap across to Power 5, may have jumped on a sinking ship. Um, but we will wait and see at this point. And, of course, we can spend 
we and we might spend a whole episode because because college football we haven't spoken about it too much. We might actually debate this forever um, in an episode. Upcoming. Yes, I I did spend a day pulling together a spreadsheet to kind of talk around all of these points, and it was for no reason. Like it wasn't for the show; it was just for my own knowledge of getting in. <laughs> Like how over the 20 years, how teams have performed, what their average attendance is, what the viewership of their games are, how many bowl games. Like I've got all of that stuff. So I can certainly go deep with you on that, my friend. So right, who's worth let's, move, let's move on chronologically somewhat. Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher talk us through this. This was a bit of a, a spat that happened um, earlier in the winter here in Australia, but certainly earlier in the summer um in in the state so what happened give us a three minute summary at best i don't don't even know if i've got three minutes for you so nick saban's kind of come out and and had some parting shots for jimbo fisher on the back of some of the recruiting uh success that we've seen that they've had through uh and it's it's fascinating to see right like it's great to see these guys have a bit of a feud because they're obviously um, coaching together and, and former friends, so to sit now turned rival coaches throughout this. I love a good feud. I think we all love a good feud uh, in, in, in this public space, especially when it's two of the most high-profile uh, coaches in, in the league. But essentially, they were not happy. Uh, or, and and it, it's kind of pot calling the kettle black a little bit for me, right? Where <laughs> Saban's, Saban's come out and said that Texas A&M have bought every player in order to achieve their top-ranked recruiting class. And I think everyone in the world who has an inkling as to how college football recruiting works kind of looks at the Alabama roster and kind of rolls their eyes a little bit like, oh, and, and you've never handed out cash to any of the players that squeaky it, clean. are in They're squeaky clean, mate. No issues whatsoever. So, like, it's it's just interesting to see that coming out, and and good on Jimbo for firing back and 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 not not standing for it and, and coming out and saying no, we're doing the right thing. I think there was some hilarious uh, video that came out off the back of this too that was kind of captured at a recruiting visit where there's a bunch of dudes down on Kyle Field and and the good. guy the guy is kind of like pointing around. This is where you play, like out here is where a bunch of these guys are, are giving you money for, to be here and it's kind of captured on film and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't think you're supposed to say that, mate. Like, this, <laughs> we're, we're still trying to keep that on the DL. I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but yeah, <laughs> carry on. So That's the, about it? Yeah, I mean, and that's it in a nutshell. The two of them started going backwards and forwards and, and it just adds to what we're going to see in season, which, which is fantastic. For me, I, I like that we've got a new recruiting champion. It's good to have a bit of... Uh, change and it's not surprising to see it's a, it's a Texas school with the price of oil at the moment like they would be cashed up <laughs> uh, yeah uh, um, yeah I mean it, it all comes down to money again and I don't want to labour that point but and I've said that term a lot tonight so uh, but yeah you know the financial side of things is having an impact, and and I'm going to get to that in a second as as we talk through the current state of affairs in terms of NIL, the portal, and and the impact those two things are having on recruiting. Um, but it's been an interesting kind of off season, and it's interesting to see two SEC coaches because we often see the SEC stay so strong, and the NCAA be almost. It, <laughs> 
completely a complete loss of power by them i guess in terms of their ability to uh govern that particular conference because they know how much they're worth and when you watch these two guys go at it and make accusations that are 100 percent justified and both of them and i've got no doubt and no question and no qualms in saying this both of them have been complicit in illegal recruiting whether they can deny it or not they both have been involved in it um through you know just lack of knowledge of one level or another um to then come out and say like these and, and accuse another school of doing these things is just ridiculous to me but um both of them have been responsible for <laughs> some sketchy behaviors oh no doubt no doubt all right let's get to um nil the portal and recruiting so i've got a lot here so i actually am going to almost throw it open to you um, I'm going to start with two things and then I'm going to throw the wheel to start peppering some questions at me. I haven't told you this ahead of time, so Excellent. we'll see how this goes. But um, both the NIL and, and I'm going to look at it through the lens of recruiting, but both the NIL and the portal, the transfer portal, were designed in a certain way and they have not been acted upon in the way that those two things were designed so firstly the portal which came in first the transfer portal was designed that athletes were to enter that particular software website portal um, and say yes i'm not happy at my current institution for whatever reason and i want to transfer and i get a one ticket shot at transferring free and i can play the next year However, uh, that's not the way it's been. That's not the way it's been enacted. In fact, the portal has been schools approaching players that are currently in a particular school and saying, "Hey, are you interested in transferring? We would be happy to take you." So it's sort of been the reverse effect has been what's occurring. Likewise with NIL. So um, that is where you athletes are able to benefit from their likeness in terms of making money for promotion for advertisements for things of that nature whereby they would it was designed that they would sign at a school and the recruiting process would have occurred as it would have 10 years ago they would sign at a school and then a business would come to them and say, hey, do you want to or are you interested in signing on with us? We'll give you some money for appearing at this event or we'll, we'll give you some money for doing this X, Y, Z, whatever it is. However, again, like the portal, the reverse has happened. NIL offers are going out ahead of the school offers or in conjunction with the school offers. And the reality of this is these NIL offers cannot be, cannot be pay to play, which is exactly what Jimbo Fisher's staffer at Texas A&M was suggesting that if you come here, you will earn money. That suggests that that is a pay for play. If you come to the school, you'll get paid. Likewise, any school that produces, and these are pretty common at the moment, a collective where, uh, whereby 
a group of people come together and say, hey, donate to our collective and we will pay the players for coming to the school. That is a pay-for-play situation. That is not what NIL was designed around. That is not what the rules sort of stipulate at the moment. And as a result, um, what? and again, the reverse of this is happening. So you've got a situation where Portal designed, not working or not functioning as it was designed. NIL, again, in theory, really, really good, but not functioning as it was designed. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think you're, you're spot on. I think that whole pay-for-play thing was always going to be impossible to govern and police. Yeah. And uh, like the, the, the big thing that I'll argue against that is the shit was happening behind the scenes anyway. So we've just brought it out into the light and, and the fact that it's still happening now, whatever. I think it's interesting when we talk about the the group payments across the group. So I saw Texas Tech landed something where every player uh, on the football roster there is in, is going to be walking away with a five-figure sum this year. Uh, like, that very much feels like pay-for-play to me. But at the same time, it, it, it's... <laughs> I'm kind of okay with that. Like these guys are are getting looked after, and and they're getting some money back for services rendered uh, uh, for for what we get to enjoy as as spectators of the sport. So I'm a little bit on the fence with it. Where it starts to get a bit dicey is where people can make more money and and they leave schools because you know I, I follow a, a smaller school that doesn't necessarily have. Um, the big bankroll or, or at least the big pulling power of some of the other ones so we could very much be a stepping stone where, where players will be there, they'll have a good season and then they'll leave. After that, it's it's kind of, it, it gets really tricky to kind of, to try and counter that and, and make things work for your program where you really want to build guys up. College football is a unique sport where you get a three to four year window with players and then they're gone. It's not like Aussie rules that we have here where you, you draft a youngster, they have two or three years uh, kind of making a name for themselves and then they become really good and then they become a champion of your game. You've got a 24 to 30, 48 game career at the college football level and that's it. And when you get a good one who's got 24 games in them and there's a chance for another 12, that's a really special season. And when that gets taken away from you and goes to Ohio State or it goes to Alabama, it hurts as a fan because you you were really excited about it and it kind of devalues it. But I I don't see a way around that. It, it, It is kind of how things have progressed and it, it gives mm. the, the players more options and, and more power, which is not such a bad thing. Yeah. I, I, I don't I don't disagree on some level, but you also become a mercenary and that is not what sport has ever been designed around. It's about sticking with a group and, and sometimes you win, sometimes you sometimes you lose. And and that's not the way that college football is heading at the moment, which is which is really, really disappointing. Do you have any questions about the impact of this around recruiting or anything like that that you would like to get into? Because I can just go so, full so, ham so here. Firstly, I know this is your area. We're, we're really getting into yes. your jam now. We're out of the spreadsheets and into the anal- different types of speculation. Yeah, the, but uh, from <laughs> from stuff. 
this most recent recruiting class has been the clearest picture that we've got, I guess, of the the NIL coming in and have that. Mm-hmm. What what are the key takeaways or the changes, the differences that you've seen? Because for mine, the same programs are at the top. The, the heavy hitters are still there. Was there anything kind of buried beneath the surface there that, that we've seen that's a little bit different because of this? Yeah, I think um, we're seeing... Not necessarily from a, a a school perspective in terms of changes, although there have been changes to the 2022 class. The 2021 class, not so much. Texas A&M were the big ones that came out and from a score perspective, put up the best score in college football recruiting of all time. They supplanted Alabama, who held the ranking just the previous year in 2021. Is that, is that like Rivals or ESPN? Or? That's 24-7. Okay. Um, so there's a few that use a composite 24-7 is, is the one that I use to have a look at don't use on three they're a new group and they're weird uh, but what we are seeing is more athletes committing earlier so a lot of them are getting done by July August getting their NIL deals sorted so official visits now are happening far earlier in the year their official visits from everything that I understand and read about is that by the time an athlete takes an official visit, they're comfortable with the school. So if your school gets an official visit, they're actually already ready to go for that school. It is a simple matter of negotiation at that point. They know that they're comfortable with the coaches. They're happy with the uniforms. They think the locker room is great. Uh, it is a simple matter of how much money am I going to get paid to play for your school? And if you're not satisfied with that amount, then I will go to the next particular institution. And and that's kind of the way it's working. We're seeing actually seeing less decommitments at this point as well, which is an interesting kind so, of development. So, so on that, I have a couple of questions, I suppose. Firstly, then... What I take from that is that we've got more players committed now for for next year's recruiting than say historically or, or last year Correct. and historically. So so more are getting Correct. now. So on that, is it that once you've committed, you become eligible for your NIL payments? Is that what's driving that? D- depends depends on the athlete and the NIL agreement or contract. So these athletes have to sign contracts. They are employees effectively. So they've got to pay tax. They've got to do all the normal things that an employee would normally do. But some of them are offered money up front. Yes, okay. And as then part that, of their contract. That oh, answers, part of their contract. And, and, yeah. That answers my next question. So if you're a 17 year old kid in high school. Yeah. You want to get yeah, paid, right? You want, says, you want to rock up to yeah, prom right. in a, a in a mean whip, so you're going to take yeah. that fifty k <laughs> down payment and go buy that bad boy, yeah. and then you go. Actually, and- I don't want to go to Lubbock, Texas, because that's a shithole. Uh, I want to get. I want to decommit. They go. All right. We'll just give us the fifty k back, and we're all sweet. Go. All right. Guns up. Go Raiders. (laughs) And and to be fair, I haven't seen any of these contracts. And this is where people are getting a little bit stuck. Actually, and and athletes are getting stuck. Is that they're not taking lawyers and people into these contracts, and they're signing things that they don't fully understand because some of them are written to take money as they become nfl athletes to the point of being like 50 percent of their payments as they become nice. nfl athletes nice not, yeah so so like you need to be careful you need to be really smart but I, we don't need to get into the depths of that too much but i think it has shifted the game so decommitments less yes athletes committing earlier yes 
Um, what else am I seeing? I think there's been more parity this year. Texas A&M, yes, certainly set the bar last year and they got out in front of it. And re recruiting is still about developing relationships. However, the best recruiters are still having the greatest impact and the big schools are still winning. There are, however, some schools that are coming out of the woodwork and having a huge impact in recruiting. If I say schools like Louisville, if I say schools like Tennessee that have not been relevant, those two schools now are in the top 15 of recruiting at the moment because they're offering big, big contracts. Lastly, closing out can be really, really difficult. Recruiting used to be a process similar to a relationship with um, someone that you're romantically invested in, in that it takes time and it takes effort and you know, maybe a few weeks down the line, eventually you get them to commit to staying over your place, maybe a little bit of Netflix. But now the Netflix is still happening, but all of a sudden they get a phone call from a guy called Gary, not Gary, Gary wouldn't call, uh, but somebody and they're jumping ship very, very quickly. It's been to the point, and again, this is only speculation and rumors that I've heard, but it's got to the point whereby an athlete is ready to commit. They've got their hats on the table. They know who they're committing to. And a school calls and says, hey, we've got a better offer for you. What do you think? And they're within 30 minutes of announcing for school X. They get that phone call from school Y and they change their commitment on the spot because of that offer. And that is, that is happening right now. Um, and and that's difficult to that's difficult to battle the relationships yes they still matter but the offers for some people and some families and some groups are too much to turn down okay I want to hit you with one last question on this one here mm -hmm. the changes with Nil and the transfer portal that have come in recently do mm -hmm. you believe that this is creating a better product do you believe college football is in a better place? with this now and into the future or is it doing more harm than good yourself as a fan of the sport what's your takeaway is this strictly within the the scope of the sport or philosophically within the fit, fit, realms your, of society because well, i the, i've got probably two different answers there. i i want one, uh, an aaron kemp how do you feel about it in terms of your love of the sport and, and the impact that this is having on it i if i look at the numbers i think it's better because all of a sudden this year like i said we had alabama set the record two years ago we had texas a&m set the record last year all of a sudden there is a group of about 15 schools that could all finish in the top five this year which means if we're looking at parity it feels like we're closer to it. although college will never have that there is a group in there that you know you could upset the apple cart you've got teams like usc louisville that i mentioned before miami texas a&m tennessee that are committing to this nil thing so from that perspective i'm like yeah okay i don't know how i feel i i think it's a cultural thing because i don't like and i don't believe sport is designed around jumping to the best offer it never has been. It's been about, and, and you know this because you've played in many teams that have not won grand finals. But if you got offered money from 
the team that won the grand final every year and you just won grand finals the whole time, would that be as satisfying as going through the rigor and the relentlessness and the, the pain of losing and then going and finally being successful? That's what sport is actually all about. And that is where I, I fear for someone like... And I get it in college football because not everybody is going to win. And for someone like Jordan Addison who can... who transferred from Pitt and he had the number one quarterback taken in the in the NFL draft last year and he never really got a chance to do that much yeah they won an ACC championship whatever but he never got to play for a playoff team at USC maybe he gets that opportunity and 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 so I, I do understand that but I think for the betterment of the sport and the betterment of people I don't think these things are great yeah okay. no I don't Okay. Um, lastly, before we do move on, I do want to make a couple of things just linking back to the draft. We need to be aware of the four-star athlete. There are 33 five-star athletes on 24-7 at the moment. There are, after that, 374 four-star athletes. There are 262 NFL draft picks which means a large portion of the four-star athletes that currently exist in college football now would be undrafted free agents at best. That does not include the three-star athletes that go and develop and get drafted, of which there are a considerable amount every year. So when your school recruits a four-star athlete, they're not all the same, and you need to be aware of that. Yes, recruiting rankings count and our college football teams that continue to do well, continue to recruit at a higher level um, and they continue to take five and four star athletes. I'm not disputing that on any level. All I'm saying is if your school all of a sudden gets 10 four star athletes, you need to have a look at where those four stars are coming from. Are they between 250 and 350? Because if they are, those guys are probably not moving the needle on an NFL level. Uh, yeah, I, I would counter that. I, I, I think the ranking system itself is a little flawed in terms is it? of... Well, no, but, but if you're talking like 250 to 350 versus 150 to 250, like that, that, that's all in the same bracket there. I think it, it, it's great insight from a Miami fan. Like you've seen that more often than not. You guys do quite well on the recruiting front. You bring in a lot of four-star guys that don't necessarily pan out. Um, so so poor coach team as well. You are spot on in that fact, but there is a critical mass that you need. You want yeah. oh, you yes. want to have as many of them as possible because let's say 50% of them work out. If you've got more of them, then you're going to have more of them working out and they're going to be the NFL guys and they're going to be the real contributors. So it, it is yeah. an interesting one, but I very much get your point where the fact that a guy carries four stars from high school into college football doesn't mean shit. Yeah, that, that, that was all my point. And uh, lastly, if I quickly crunch some numbers and look at schools, Ohio State is still at the top, Notre Dame, Texas, Georgia, Clemson, Bama, USC, all involved at the top. Um, uh, but however, there are some teams struggling. Florida, Billy Napier, not getting off to a good start, not creating good relationships, not good reputation there in Gainesville. So look out for Florida being a bit of a mess. N Michigan, not off to a great start. Nebraska, who... I think we can safely say Nebraska are not good. Not like a blue blood? Are. They've lost their blue blood? 
mate, they are no good at the moment. Florida State are at 42, Stanford 43, Oklahoma State, your guys at 53, but that's not us- uh, unusual. <laughs> Texas A&M, after taking the number one class of all time last year, currently sit at number 62 with only five commits. Yeah, um, they're in it for a lot of dudes, but, you know, things so, could get ugly so, here. So I do want to ask a question here. Uh, have we seen enough early commits that it matters yet? Because we are still very early and things will change drastically from this point forward. You've mentioned that we've had more commits earlier this year. Is it enough that teams like fans of Texas A&M should be a little bit worried about that? Or is there still a chance that these guys can land enough to get back in the top 10 and it's all just because we're talking July um, well, with the decreased rate of decommitments, I would suggest that, yeah, I'd be a bit concerned with Texas A&M's class at the moment. Yes, they're in it for some some heavy dudes, and you're looking at, you know, and one of the, the number one D lineman in the class in David Hicks, who's out of Texas at the moment. Um, he will, he's, he's strongly leaning Texas A&M. Uh, you've got a wide receiver out of Miami who is interested in Texas A&M as well. So, the, the Aggies are in and around the mark, but you're not going to win every one of those battles. And the other thing that has come up with this NIL stuff, and this isn't Texas A&M necessarily, but there's been some payments missed from these contracts that have been signed. So schools aren't coming to the party necessarily all the time. Maybe people are a little bit fearful of Texas A&M and the fact that they spent a lot of money last year and maybe they're not you know, as sure. I don't know yet. We, we need to wait and see. But if I'm a Texas A&M fan, yeah, I'm a little bit nervous. Not only that, old Miss, they're at position 63. Again, and Auburn, 74 as well. This comes back to my point. College towns are in trouble from a recruiting sense. Um, you've got A&M College Station. Yes, it's big. Old Miss, you've got Oxford, Auburn, um, you know, college town. I think Oklahoma, well, Oklahoma State's not a good example because they've never recruited particularly highly. Um, but Florida State, you know, at number 42 and apparently feeling the pinch of not having an NIL representation on any level uh, are struggling at the moment. And, and I think we're going to see that more and more and more. All right. We've done a lot on recruiting. We've done a lot on recruiting. Yeah. You're, you're passionate. Say, I don't want to stop. I, I, I stop am passionate about it. That. The last thing I'll say, Arch Manning has committed to Texas now. Yes, it is one of the Manning family. No, uh, sorry, no relation. It's not the son of Eli or Peyton. It is their other brother, um, who their, I guess, their nephew, uh, and he is committed to Texas. He is currently the number one ranked quarterback in the class. He is one of the more overrated players in the class as well. I don't think he is actually very good. I think he is potentially a borderline four-star recruit, but he holds the Manning name. Yeah, look, I, I am not going to disagree. I'm not going to say I know. I just think that the hype is unreal. So he's not just the number one quarterback, he's the number one prospect. But yeah. it, it, it's very much hype-driven at this stage. I think it's easy to kind of get caught up in all of that. And he may well turn out to be a fantastic football player. I haven't broken down any of this stuff here. But the hype, no matter what it is, like it, it just doesn't match it. We've, we've seen it with... Uh, a lot of these sorts of guys before and the the hype can have a way of making things very tough for you when you actually have to play out on the field. He holds he holds a 1.0 score from 24-7. There is no... He can't be any better as a player. 
That is perfect. what they're saying. So perfect. he's the best. He's perfect. <laughs> he is. He's Marcus Jones. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, let's get to some preseason award lists that have come out. So look, we get to some things a bit more recently. Uh, the O'Brien Award, uh, preseason award, fi- or not finalists, but um, preseason award nominations came out. And this is for the nation's best quarterback. So you've got all the usual ones, CJ Stroud at Ohio State, Bryce Young, Alabama, Will Levis, um, copping a lot of quality heat at Kentucky, Caleb Williams at USC. Any thoughts on any of the quarterbacks um, in this particular season and, and where they sit with the O'Brien Award? I'm actually really excited about this year's quarterback crop I think the the top end so your Stroud and your Bryce Young are as good as we've seen of a pairing coming out in recent memory like those two are elite prospects both like Young's run uh, Heisman winner uh, Stroud was runner-up last year the, these guys both returned they're both fantastic they're both going to put up numbers in fantastic teams does the award fall out of these two guys I I would not bet against it, but at the same time, I'm probably not going to bet it because it, it is so hard to win it from that favourite position. I'm not sure which of the two is actually favourite at the moment, but it, it's, it often comes from somewhere else. And I guess that kind of moves into my next point around, I'm really excited about the next group down. So you mentioned a couple of the names there in, in Will Levis, and, and there's a whole heap of others in there that uh, will potentially make moves and get excited. And... I'm really thrilled to see who makes that step because I think that we are going to see it. I think college football and the way offences are built allow these guys to put up some big numbers now and and maybe mask a few of their deficiencies. But we're going to see some really, really impressive stuff from some of the guys this year. So where last year was a down year, we've certainly got ourselves a bumper crop this year. Yeah, for sure. And and I, I don't disagree on any level. And there's something for everybody as well. Uh, you know, you've got CJ Stroud, you've got Bryce Young, Caleb Williams. I don't know yet. He's a bit of a wild card to me at this point. We he had some real up and downs at Oklahoma, but he's back with his former head coach or same head coach, I guess, with Lincoln Riley. You got Devin Leary copping a lot of positive preseason accolades, um, and you know he's he's done a really good job at NC State last year. But to me, it's some of the other guys. You know, you got Quinn Ewers at Texas. Really, really interesting. Yes, he's a, uh, a a transfer coming from Ohio State, but he's an interesting one. You got Jackson Dart, who did some good stuff at USC. He's now at Ole Miss. And Lane Kiffin, who is known um, to have a quarterback-friendly offense. You've then got Malik Cunningham, who has been on and off of being an absolute freak show to an absolute disaster for kind of two years now, but he could be really good. Jaden Daniel Jaden Daniels moves across to LSU. Hendon Hooker has been spoken about time and time again as where does he sit with with Tennessee? But he has done some really good job, uh, some really good things last year, and, and he can hit the deep ball. He can run as a dual-threat quarterback, DTR at UCLA. you got Dylan Gabriel, who lit it up at UCF. He's now at Oklahoma. Spencer Rattler was a hot mess at Oklahoma. He's now at the Gamecocks. you got Keaton Slovis at Pitt. Bo Nix at Oregon. Oh, don't give me Bo Nix. Hmm. He can jog on. Um, but then you've got Tanner McKee, who had that big comeback against Oregon last year. you got Phil Jakovic at BC. I know you're a big fan of him, but they're two, like, real NFL 
pocket passer, quality prospects. And then you've got the volume dudes. You've got Will Rogers. You've got Sam Hartman. You've got Jake Hayner at Fresno State. You've got Tanner Mordecai at SMU. You've got Aiden O'Connell at Purdue, who I think is probably one of the top five quarterbacks in the country. So, like you said... There are so many names. And Grayson McC- we haven't even mentioned Grayson McCall. Grayson McCall at Coastal Carolina doing some could, really good could, stuff. Could be the best of them. Like, he, he has been fantastic. All he's done <laughs> is win games and been elite at it. We've, we've got your boy Tyler Van Dyke. You haven't mentioned him. Miami. He, mentioned. he could be a top 10 draft pick. You've got D- DJU. Could turn, like yeah, he had a, a disaster, disaster yeah. season last year. He could turn around and lead Clemson to a national championship. That could happen. Like yeah. we are, that, we are literally talking like twenty, thirty legitimate dudes here who could kind of show up and and be fantastic. And and it's really exciting because all of these guys have shown something previously enough to get us keen and up and about and excited for what, what the future holds. The ultimate wait and see, really, with these quarterbacks, which is awesome because we didn't have it last year. So it's it, it's good to get excited. And I think that's one big thing is it's good to get excited about something different. Maxwell Award came out as well. This award, and this is one I'm confused with because I don't understand the difference between the Maxwell and the Heisman, but the Maxwell goes to the best all-round player in college football. What is the difference between that and the Heisman? Uh, yeah, yep, look. good. You don't know. <laughs> Um, So with all those quarterbacks that we mentioned who are all nominated, we've also got guys like Will Anderson out of Alabama who put up a million sacks last year. Uh, I don't think he's the pro prospect that... He's an undersized, he's a tweener. He's going to have to play in a 3-4 as an edge dude. Um, I wouldn't be drafting him that high. He'll probably go in the top 10 but I don't think he's that good. You've got Brock Bowers at, U, uh, at UGA, at uh, Georgia, the, the tight end who yeah. made some noise last year. You've got Kayshawn Boutte, LSU. I think he is fantastic. Him and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Again, if you're a team that's wide receiver needy from an NFL perspective, take one of those two boys. Um, you've also got Jordan Addison at USC and B. John Robinson as well at Texas. So you've got a lot of skill position guys that are good on top of all those quarterbacks. Yeah, I'll throw Travion Henderson in as well as part of that trio. Not a bad you know. one. Not a bad well, one. That, like the the Stroud Henderson Smith and Jigba trio is as good as I can remember. Like that that, that rivals a lot of the stuff that Alabama have put out recently, where they're, they're just next level. Yeah, yeah. I I got on Smith and Jigba a year early. I got on um, Zach Wilson a year early. I'm just trying to determine who my player is this yeah, look, year that I'm going to get let's on. Not, let's not do this live for our uh, audience. I'm sure they'd appreciate your th- the thinking music <laughs> in the background. But uh, that is some homework you can take away from this is to yeah, yeah. come up with the next big thing because you have done a good job of, of nailing it. Yeah, but I, I, I go too early. I find my shot too early, which is not unlike me, actually. <laughs> On so many points. Um, all right, let's get to some big picture thoughts before we wrap this up. What are you looking forward to? What are your thoughts about season 2022? Obviously, next episode, we're going to dive into conference previews and, and we are f- full go from this point on. But do we have a zoomed out look at, at season 2022 and, and what that means and looks like? And what are you thinking? Oh, look, I'm really excited for it. Outside of the the norm where we've got Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama as kind of like penciled in for 
the playoffs. Like you've got those three teams there. I, I think there's a lot to be excited about at a conference level for who's going to win it. So the Pac-12 flaming mess at the moment, but fuck, it's going to be exciting to see who steps up. <laughs> like, will USC get something going this year, or that like that could easily turn into a train wreck? You've got like like a. Your scope of outcome is non-bowl eligible to national champion. Like that, that's where that group could be, and, and and that's bloody exciting to have happen there. The Big Twelve is fascinating with Oklahoma. You know who have- Sorry, I, I, and I, I just, I'm going to interrupt, interrupt again here, but that scope is not celebrated enough. Like everyone mm. celebrates the the top end, and are they going to win? Are they going to lose one, or are they going to lose none? Whereas you're like, I like the teams that could be anywhere. Exactly right, and then we saw that with LSU, right? Like they went from winning a national championship, and then the next year we're like, mm, they could fall back in a, a bit of a heap here. Fuck, they did. They they really struggled there, and like Clemson and were not that. Like we all bagged them for being terrible last year. I think they won ten games, and we were like, Clemson <laughs> are fucking done. They're dust. <laughs> Not many teams win ten games. Like, yeah, I know it just doesn't happen. They so. went to the, they went to the ACC championship, <laughs> but yeah. So the Big Twelve is uh, another one. Oklahoma, a lot of change there. Lincoln Riley out. Venables in. Texas seem to be more risen than ever. So that, that's a fascinating one to have happen. And then. Neither of those teams were in the championship game last year. Like they're both kind of punching up from where they were last year. So fascinating there. The ACC is going to be good. Was it a blip in the radar for Clemson, or are they coming back to the pack? And does that open the door for whoever it is going to be there? We that's always a bit of fun there. Um, I think the Big Ten's probably the least exciting because I think Michigan, uh, who were really impressive last year, are going to take a step back. And it is just going to be the Ohio State show there. I think they're quite clear. And then in the SEC, there's the emergence of a few programs that are going to make things exciting. So Tennessee, can, can they start to make some moves from what we've seen? It, it is starting to be a bit of a swell there. Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, has, is exciting, is pulling things. Can he take the next step? Can, can we see any of these guys actually go off and, and knock over an Alabama? Or is that a bridge too far? So I think there's enough there at, at all of these levels. And then you kind of couple that in with the group of five. We've given them no love. We're a group of five show like we, we are the, first, first time listeners might not think that and and probably <laughs> rightfully so but we we are we're very fond of the group of five here and we will in a future episode i promise spend a lot more time on our friends at the group of five and go into a lot more detail there but that as we've always said offers a lot more parity it is a lot more even. You get a lot more tight contests in there. You go into a lot more games without knowing what the outcome's going to be. So that's a good one to uncover where the next superstars who are probably going to jump in the portal and go to the <laughs> the Blue Bloods. But, you know, but they, but, but let's enjoy jumped, that one year. But They've jumped in the portal the first time after committing to a Power 5 team as a quarterback, then not getting a starting job. They've, they've hooked across... To the group of five. And Tana Mordecai. Want, and then, Tana Mordecai. Yeah, exactly. Jake Hayner. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't disagree. I think it's a, it's a really interesting season. And I think the quarterbacks lead that in that, is Cam Rising at Utah going to start dominating? Like, is oh, he he's gonna, exciting. He's exciting. Yeah, exactly. Like, like is, <laughs> is he going to be the one? Because he could be. So, um, you know, you know we, there is an opportunity to make money early 
in college football, that seems to be from a betting perspective where the money is made. However, <laughs> you're, got, you're picking a quarterback, really, and it's really, really hard to do that. You know, So I, I find that really, really interesting. I think, unfortunately, the season is going to be marred by a heavy focus on conference realignment. And, and I don't mean that from everybody's perspective, but I certainly think that from a, a commentator's media perspective is 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 everything is going to be geared back to well where does this leave this conference where does this leave this this team so teams like oregon teams like utah who you know oregon breaking in a new coach uh you've got notre dame bringing in a new coach as well well new defensive coordinator converted to head coach where does this leave these guys and and you know, what impact does that have on the way they're viewed? And I think the way they're viewed is so important because viewership is critical in terms of these new deals. And, um, you know, a, a team like Oregon who's sitting on the fence, they look, they're on the outside looking in with USC and UCLA, they need to be viewed well. So it feels like the conference realignment discussions will continue to permeate um college football all year round and it feels like we're in a little bit of a holding pattern um which is strange with all the new portal the new nil uh the new uh, conference realignment but it feels like we're just kind of going to be waiting out until these schools do jump and we've got a clear picture of what they look like moving forward so i know that sounds a little bit cynical and a little bit negative despite the excitement around the quarterback playing these different schools and these different teams i just I just feel like that, unfortunately, the focus is going to be elsewhere. Yeah, that was a great quote to come out of, I think it was the Big 12 media day, where they're kind of talking about having these old schools, the schools that are moving out, like they, where they know they're living. It's like breaking up with your wife or your partner and then having them live in the same house for another year whilst you're doing that. <laughs> yeah. Like it's kind of you're walking around an egg. It's just a little bit weird. It's it's kind yeah. of why are these guys here? Yeah, yeah. And on that, I think it's time we leave it there. So thank you very much for sticking with us for this monster, super large, ginormous podcast, whatever I called it at the top of the show. Should I should I get the name right? Super big, ginormous. Welcome back, podcast. We've done it. We're through it. Um, it's been exciting. I've I've really enjoyed spending some time with you, Will. So that's been good. Um, hopefully, I don't lock myself out of the house and have to jump the fence to get back in the front door again tonight. And hopefully, the uh, the child doesn't wake up and and make me want to kill myself at two thirty <laughs> in the morning. Um, so that you know, that's a very real possibility. But thank you to the vault studio podcast and burnley brewing who like i said i've finished their lovely delicious and always nutritious beverages they need to send us some more unless you've got any last final comments will it has been a pleasure my friend my name's aaron that is will and we will see you next time